0: Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Persaud. I'm a consultant, doctor and psychiatrist. I work in private practice in Harley Street, London. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Anthony Daniels. Anthony is a consultant psychiatrist. He's retired now. um, But his last posting was working at the West Midlands Poisons Unit uh, in Birmingham. And he's published with his co-author, Alistair Vale, a fascinating paper in the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. And the title of the paper is Did Sir Winston Churchill Suffer? from the black dog and essentially these two authors are raising a really interesting question that it's kind of taken for granted that Winston Churchill suffered from depression to the extent that he even had a nickname for it called the black dog but is it actually true and I think there's a rather surprising answer as to whether it's true or not at the end of the paper. But let's start, um, Anthony, by asking you where the idea first comes from that uh, Sir Winston Churchill suffered from serious depression. And you kind of lay the blame partly at the door of a very famous uh, media psychiatrist of the day, Anthony Store, who was kind of, I think, the equivalent of Anthony Clare of his day. But tell us a bit about his story and what he said about Churchill.
1: Well, I, I, I first of all, let me say that I don't blame him. A man can't be blamed for the consequences of uh, what he wrote. Um, but certainly he originated, I think, in the popular uh, imagination that, uh, that um, Churchill uh, had severe depression. And he was a very beguiling writer. He was a very beguiling speaker. He was a very cultivated man and uh, his original essay, which I think was first published in 1969 and republished in uh, 1980, really went more or less unopposed at the time. And it's a very beguiling, um, uh, very beguiling essay that he wrote and and actually superficially quite persuasive. And he refers
0: um, to Churchill talking about the black dog. So what was the black
1: dog? Well, that is, of course, a matter of dispute. Uh, According to some people, the black dog was uh, an expression used by nannies quite often for when a child had a bad mood, was in a bad mood. And the nanny would say, the upper class uh, nanny or the nanny of the upper class uh, would say, well, you've got the black dog today. So it doesn't necessarily mean uh, persistent and prolonged uh, depression or any other mood.
0: So, in fact, it was an upper-middle-class saying amongst nannies referring to people being a bit grumpy, actually. It wasn't actually a, a term that indicated you were
1: clinically depressed. Yes, I think that that, that is, at any rate, that is what uh, Colville, the, uh, the private secretary, says, or uh, the, the secretary of Churchill says, yes.
0: Um, now, another um, eminent modern uh, doctor and writer, Lord uh, Owen uh, writes a book about the link between leadership and mental illness or between um, the, the notion of um, psychopathology and politicians. And he uh, seems to be a big fan of the idea that Churchill uh, suffers from clinical depression. And you uh, point out that a lot of these other sources are referring back to Anthony Storr. Yes. So Anthony Storr kind of gets the ball rolling and it, keeps, it turns into an avalanche.
1: Yes, and, and something, if you like, enters the culture and it, and it becomes true merely by repetition. And this is not the only instance of something like that happening, but um, but I think it's a good instance of this happening. And incidentally, Lord Owen was far from the only person who who, uh, who has accepted uh, Storr's story.
0: Yes, you mentioned several other um, writers. Uh, Andrew Solomon, who wrote a very, very famous and important book on depression called The Noonday Demon and Anatomy of Depression um, and, and lots of other books. Now, you actually comment on the end of the paper why people might be motivated to see depression in a great man like Churchill.
1: Could you comment a bit on why people might be motivated to do that? Well, this, of course, is highly speculative and I can't prove it in any scientific way, but I think there are two main opposing um, uh, reasons. The first is that we do like to show that great people have uh, feet of play, or at least are very vulnerable, and we like that. On the other hand, we also want to say to people that uh, a psychiatric condition, such as depression, does not mean that you, um, that you, you can't get on in life. Uh, we want to remove stigma attached to it. So there are these two things which have made it very convenient, if you like, to say that Churchill um, had severe depression.
0: There's there's another thing that you allude to in the paper, which is the notion that when people are are extraordinary, in some way we want to psychopathologize that. We want to try to figure out what, what is the basis of their extraordinariness. And we seem to look into psychiatry for that. But people can be extraordinary without being psychopathological.
1: Yes, unless you, well, if you psychopathologize anything that is not normal, normal in the statistical sense, then, then of course, it becomes true that everybody who is in any way abnormal um, has some psychiatric condition. If I may refer to my own uh, self, I buy an enormous quantity of books, far, far uh, outside the normal range, I would say. But that doesn't mean it's psychopathology, at least, well, I don't think so, my wife might think it is, but uh, I don't think so. So, um, we, but we do have a tendency to, to psychopathologize what is abnormal in the statistical sense. And of course, Churchill's life was extraordinary. It was a very, very extraordinary life.
0: Um, and that takes us to an essential question, which is if you're going to try to figure out whether someone has a diagnosis, you get into almost a philosophical question, which is the essence Of that diagnosis what is it that you have to have in order to qualify for the diagnosis and and how do people fall into the category or not fall into the category and of course there's a lot of debate within psychiatry uh, around that precise point And although there are these manuals like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual and the ICD, International Classification Diseases, who have attempted to manualize diagnosis, give clear-cut criteria, like with um, one of them, um, prolonged and low mood over two weeks, there is still a sense in which um, the categories are a bit arbitrary. So what's really fascinating about your paper, you borrow into the question which is that it's actually very difficult to be clear sometimes about diagnosis because of this problem of what is the essence of uh, what is the essence of it uh, to be psychiatrically ill?
1: Yeah, uh, I, w- I wonder what your response is to that point. Well, there I would say I, I would say this that one must surely have some idea of what is an appropriate uh, response to circumstances. So one of the reasons that people say that Churchill was depressed was that occasionally he was very gloomy about what had happened. But of course, he had a life in which many terrible things, he, he experienced terrible things, he saw terrible things happen. And if we don't expect such a man's mood to change, uh, according to circumstances, that would itself be a bit psychopathological. Uh, after all, let's take the episode of the, uh, 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 of uh, Gallipoli, adventure if one calls it that it resulted in the deaths of a hundred thousand people at least uh, fairly equally divided between the Tur- turks and the allies uh, and um, and it was of course a disaster a military disaster for the allies uh, and if churchill had not been a bit gloomy after that one would have thought of him as a psychopath actually um, but every time that he was gloomy, and he had many things to be gloomy over. After all, the Second World War was also a cause of gloom. Uh, he did. Um, he was very resilient, and his mood changed. But I don't think there's any evidence that there was any prolonged, uh, prolonged depression. And I would say that uh, that his reactions were normal in the circumstances now we've got to have some idea of how people react normally to very difficult circumstances and if we just say as you uh, pointed out that someone who is depressed for two weeks unhappy gloomy miserable for two weeks one can't envisage circumstances in which that is the normal response then i think in a way we have lost our humanity oddly enough psychiatrists have have come to be almost uniquely unable to recognize what is human.
0: And and that is one of the reasons why this paper is so fascinating, because how do we um, work out, and, and the challenge of Churchill's life, given what an extraordinary life it was, uh, the boundary between normality and disease when it comes to psychiatric disorder? And that's an, another reason why I think this is a fascinating paper. Now, you... you I, I think you take the view that if you're really suffering from a serious psychiatric disorder, it's a, functional, it's a functional approach yours, which is that you oughtn't to be able to function. You oughtn't to be able to go to work. You oughtn't to be able to do the duties of a husband or a father. And basically, your paper is saying there's no evidence that for long periods of time, Churchill was incapacitated. In fact, this is a man who for most of his life had extraordinary capacity, not incapacity. And when you examine the evidence from Churchill, his wife, relatives, people close to him, his secretaries, his doctors, uh, no one is giving an account of a man who disappears off disabled uh, for long periods of time, quite the opposite. They describe a man who's full of energy and, and is usually functioning. Would you agree with that uh, perspective on your paper?
1: I agree that, that we do, but this is all in a back, within a background of um, no real account of his mental state. And oddly enough, no doctor ever um, described his mental state. So what I would say is that prima facie, there's no evidence of depression because he did function. If you were able to show by means of, um, um, by means of an account of his mental state, such as any psychiatrist tried to elucidate, that he was in fact depressed, um, then I, I might change my mind or we might change our mind but in the absence of any such account of his mental state, which indicates a depression of any severity, uh, I would say that the fact that he was able to uh, function at such a high level would be against a diagnosis of serious depression. So it depends really whether you think that the onus is on the diagnoser to show what it was that uh, caused him to say that Churchill was depressed. And I would say the onus is on those to show his symptoms, not for someone else to say he didn't have symptoms. So one of the first places you look um, in your
0: paper is on what Winston himself writes about um, in terms of himself. So um, in terms of his own writings, you argue there's very little evidence. He refers to the black dog, in fact, surprisingly infrequently, there seem to be only two allusions to the black dog in all of the copious writings that Churchill uh, did yeah. about himself. Could you say a bit about that?
1: Well, there were many, many uh, millions of words, of course, that he wrote. Um, but he does talk twi- I've forgotten how many times, but very, very few times that he talks of the black dog. And, um, and he makes clear, actually, that it didn't really uh, last very long. And, was, uh, and he could be pulled back from gloominess uh, very quickly and very easily by talking to his wife, for example, just by talking to his wife. And this does not seem consistent with any serious degree of depression to me.
0: Now, what about evidence from his own family? Um, you you marshaled some of that evidence. Again, the evidence is thin that they regarded him as suffering from prolonged periods of depression.
1: I, I don't think they did think of him as suffering from long periods of pre- uh, depression. And overwhelmingly, they they thought that he was able to overcome his gloomy uh, moods pretty quickly, actually, as as did his friends. Um, so unless one expects people to uh, be completely flat in their mood, have the same mood the whole of their lives, I don't think one can diagnose depression in Churchill.
0: Now let's turn to a major tranche of the evidence, which is um... Uh, lord Moran Lord Moran was Churchill's doctor uh his personal doctor I think um and um accompanied him on many of his trips abroad um now let's talk a bit about their relationship i take a view that lord moran stopped behaving like an, a proper doctor if i can put it that way because he got a little bit entranced by the fact he had such a such an amazing celebrity patient and um he crossed the boundary uh, because of that. And that's a grave danger for most of us doctors, that if you have a famous um, patient, uh, that you lose track of, the, of of how to maintain the correct doctor-patient relationship. But what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, the first is, of course, that for quite a long time, uh, Churchill was Moran's only patient. And therefore, um, it's extremely unlikely that uh, a relationship like that, a doctor-patient relationship, would be a normal one. If you you had only one patient, and furthermore, you were expected to travel uh, with him on ships and aircraft and be with him at all times and be available at all times, uh, your relationship would not be the same as with the patient whom you saw in outpatient. Um, So it was inevitable that that it would be a, a peculiar relationship. That's the first thing. Secondly, of course, Moran was uh, witnessing a witness to enormous event, and I think it would be superhuman. It would have been superhuman of him if he had confined himself only to uh, to the clinical aspects of his relationship with with, um, with Churchill. Of course, there was also the the enormous. Rory, I can just about remember it. Well, I do remember it over the publication of this book because it was uh, of his great, great fat book about Churchill because it was regarded as unethical. Um, he, he did not have the permission of the family and he revealed an enormous amount of um, material about Churchill, which, if his medical, if, uh, if his uh, doctor-patient relationship was a normal, I and mean, he would not have revealed. He could not have revealed. So he thought he was, he really thought that he was a historian, I think, rather than a doctor, or he was perhaps both. So I agree with you that it's a highly peculiar relationship.
0: Let's talk a bit about the publication of that book, which is basically almost a, a publication of the, of the case
1: notes. Uh, well, a lot of it is retrospective. Uh, what is retro- In the book, it's not clear what was contemporaneous and what was not. So it's not a set of notes. It's not if you were doing, a, for example, a, a medical legal case, you would look at the contemporaneous notes and say, well, this is a, a medical record. But this book is the book that uh, Lord Moran wrote um, was not that. And, in fact, there's evidence that he, he altered uh, the records for, uh, for his own purposes, for literary and other purposes, and actually wrote things in retrospect. So it's not a contemporaneous record. It's not like looking in someone's hospital notes.
0: One of the things that's very interesting is his prescribing to Churchill before major speeches of amphetamines. Um, And this seemed to clear up what Churchill referred to as a kind of muzzy feeling in his head. Now, this is the bit that I think we come closest to um, the possibility of depression, because amphetamine, if I got this right, was a treatment for depression sometimes back then before antidepressants uh a It's not a very good treatment because it can be an addictive drug um, but what, what are your thoughts about this prescribing
1: well, the, the first, well the, the first thing is that it it only uh, it was prescribed only i think in, in in 19 to begin with in the 1950s the early 1950s so it wouldn't really affect the diagnosis of what churchill was like uh, before then uh, but in 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 fact, of course, by then, Churchill was in a declining physical state and he needed perking up. (laughs) And uh, in the circumstances, I don't think it was a terribly wrong thing for uh, Moran to have done. He didn't prescribe, as far as I am aware, he didn't prescribe in such a way that uh, Churchill became addicted. Um, So it actually worked. Now we wouldn't do it today, but then we are very, um, we are very closely regulated today as to what we would do. I, but as a fle- from the point of view of flexibility, I, I think what Moran did um, uh, was not terribly wrong, as far as that is concerned. Um, but I don't think the prescription of uh, amphetamine, can be said to be um, evidence that Churchill uh, was depressed. After all, in 1953, when he was first prescribed it, he was already quite an old man. But what I think is
0: interesting is that today, one of the ways in a way that's slightly circular that doctors make the diagnosis of depression is giving someone an antidepressant and if they cheer up uh, then they were depressed. And if you give an antidepressant to a normal person, a bit of around the word normal, it's not supposed to have any effect. And if I recall correctly, amphetamines were used in that kind of diagnostic way. If you cheered up dramatically on amphetamines back in the 50s, it was a way of making the diagnosis. And I, what I'm saying is that it helped Churchill give his speech, but Churchill didn't come back to Lord Moran and said, listen, this drug's amazing. Uh, you know, it's had a profound effect on my mood and and um, maybe I could take some more of it. Um, it was the fact that that didn't happen that I think lends weight to the idea that Churchill really wasn't suffering from depression.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the other thing, of course, is that Lord Moran was never worried about his depression. He didn't actually uh, uh, suggest that he should see a psychiatrist nor did he prescribe anything uh for him uh, not that there was very much but i'm sure doctors in those days did de- um, prescribe things for for people who were depressed uh, he he used uh amphetamine simply as a kind of prop to order, a method of increasing churchill's decline in energy levels which i mean, understandable that his energy levels uh, had declined by that age, but but certainly Moran, was ne- Morin in his book never, of course, described the mental state of um, um, Churchill in any useful way. But he he never appeared to be worried about his depression, and of course Churchill was anxious during the war and, and at other times. But again, uh, what will one say of a prime minister? Uh, with bombs falling all over the place, who wasn't anxious.
0: Now, one of the things that Lord Moran does, and I think Anthony Storr does it much more, is try to psychoanalyse Churchill and come up with a theory, going back to his childhood, to explain his psychopathology. And Anthony Storr, I think, does this more, according to your paper, than... Uh, We think that Lord Moran does it, but both indulge in it a bit. But let's go back to Storr's psychoanalytic theory, which is about the idea that Churchill um, was seen as a failure by his father, Lord Randolph Churchill, and was constantly spending the rest of his life trying to compensate uh, for this sense of inferiority engendered by his father.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, it sounds a plausible a a plausible uh, theory, I mean uh, it's intrinsically uh, not absurd or anything like that, Um, but it's very difficult to know how many people in Churchill's situation would have become depressed. I think, in any case, to argue uh, from the etiology uh, to the diagnosis is wrong. You have to establish the diagnosis first, not say, well he had the factors that would explain the diagnosis um, and therefore he had the diagnosis you have to establish first that he was depressed if he is no good arguing that uh, he was depressed because he had that background if in fact he was never depressed
0: so let's come to uh, evidence from Violet Bonham Carter who was Violet Bonham Carter
1: and why is her evidence important? Well, she was the uh, daughter of the Prime Minister Asquith, who was uh, very close to Churchill. Uh, both Asquith and and Violet Bonham Carter were close to Churchill, and she observed him uh, very um, from a, from very close um, up to 1916. And this was a period where his diagnosis of depression was supposed to have been established and she never saw anything at least in the uh, in the book that she wrote she doesn't uh, she doesn't say that uh, Churchill um, was depressed in any way now there there are two things you could say about that she might have been trying to protect his reputation and of course her memory might have been um, uh, might have been fallible because she was writing 60 uh, 50 or 50 years later, Um, but still one can only use the evidence that one has and she did know him very well and she does in her memoir uh, uh, recount anecdotes which are against the idea that Churchill had prolonged low mood so that for example gloomily, uh, he was gloomy after Gallipoli His career, he thought, might be at an end. His career as a public figure might be at an end. He didn't know, of course, what was going to happen in the future. He thought his career was at an end. He was disgraced. He was sent out to uh, France, or he went out to France as the commanding officer of a battalion, which he did extremely well. And the fact is that he was was very resilient. In the evening, He he said uh, that he was finished, and in the morning he was uh, ready to go again. This is not a picture of depression.
0: Okay, what about some other people? Evidence from Sir John Colville. Who was Sir John Colville?
1: He was uh, the secretary uh, secretary, uh, of Churchill, and he... uh, He observed him very closely and he never saw him uh, really depressed for any length of time either. Of course he he saw he had moods, that would be true of all of us. So he never, there's nothing in 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 what Colville says that would suggest that uh, Churchill was depressed for any length of time.
0: What about other doctors besides Lord Moran? You refer to two other doctors.
1: Yes, uh, Lord Brayden, for example, made notes about him—more clinical notes than actually much more clinical notes than uh, than Lord Moran. and he doesn't talk about uh, depression except in so far as he says that he he's a bit me- uh, he had melancholia. But I think he meant melan- he was melancholic rather than he was uh, that he had melancholia in uh, the in the sense of uh, deep depression. And he saw, uh, I think he saw Churchill 20 times, in fact, and never remarked on on depression.
0: So let me um, uh, do this terrible thing and challenge you a little bit. Yes. There are other explanations, uh, despite your meticulously researched article, for for some of the things that you're saying that doctors miss the diagnosis of depression all the time um particularly uh non-psychiatrists um with all the best will in the world it's a difficult diagnosis to make so my first counterpunch will be you're right these doctors did not maybe um spot it or, or present yeah. evidence for it but maybe they were missing it and that happens all the time and not only were they missing it but they were motivated to miss it because churchill being the man he was who on earth wanted to bell the cat to use an old saying who would want to say to churchill listen uh, i think you should go and see a psychiatrist i don't think you're very well i mean that's a that's a problem that dog psychiatric diagnosis today mm-hmm. that that people don't want to confront a patient with the diagnosis
1: well i I would uh, the first thing I would say about that is that Moran didn't seem so much in awe of Churchill that he didn't say to him things that Churchill didn't want to hear but I think the fundamental question here is the that of the uh, onus if you say that Churchill suffered from depression suffered from a disease it is up to you to show the Evidence Now, of course, the evidence he's not he's not alive, so we can't examine him now. All we can do is examine the historical evidence. And the historical evidence doesn't suggest that he, he was depressed. What you're saying is perfectly true, of course. He could have suffered from depression. It might have been covered up. But there is no evidence of that. And, and after all, the fact that the supposed fact uh, that he was depressed is now taken almost for granted. I, I think there are websites uh, devoted to the problem of depression, and uh, quite a, many, quite a few of them use uh, Churchill as an example of a man who was depressed. I what we're saying in this paper is that the onus is on those who say that he was depressed to show that he was depressed is not on those, is not on the side of people who say he wasn't depressed to show he wasn't depressed. I mean, if one, for, if for example, uh, one said that uh, Churchill suffered from a fractured skull at some point, one would say, well, where's the evidence for it? Uh, and you wouldn't just say, well, once he fell off a horse And therefore, he fractured, he had a fractured skull. And I think the same would be true of the diagnosis of depression. It's really up to those to say he was depressed, to show that he was depressed. And there might be fairies at the bottom of the garden. Um, It's very difficult to prove a negative.
0: But I think your paper is about something deeper, which is very important for medical students and and young psychiatrists in particular to get their head, head around, which is that the title of the paper is Did Sir Winston Churchill Suffer from the Black Dog? And one of the things I think that comes out of your paper is people say things like, I've got this thing it's a black dog, or even patients go to their GP and say, I'm depressed. The onus on the doctor, if they really want to get the diagnosis correct, is not to leap into the assumption that you understand what the patient is referring to when they use the word depression or the word black dog. Well, your job is to ask them, well, what do you mean by that? What are you referring to? And to burrow into their account of their experience a bit more. And I was trained in a tradition at the Maudsley Hospital that that emphasize this point. You make no assumptions about what people mean when they refer to their mental states, and you burrow into it to get at what they mean. But increasingly, in today, when most psychiatric diagnoses are made by GPs, you only have 10 minutes with the patient, a diagnosis is done in a very slapdash manner because people say use words like, I'm anxious or I'm depressed, and everyone just assumes that means they've ticked the box and they've got the illness. What, What are your
1: thoughts? Well, I I agree entirely. I mean, uh, actually there's a very interesting phenomenon and that is the disappearance of the word unhappiness from the English language. How many patients come and say I'm unhappy? And and this is a very significant social, social phenomenon because what it means is that unhappiness is now experienced or expected to be an illness and I think to some extent, psychiatrists have brought this on themselves Um, and they treat unhappiness as if it is in itself abnormal or illness and you're quite right, we, we very quickly assume that someone is depressed who says he's depressed and part of it of course is that uh, we are afraid of missing a real depression which would respond to our treatment we are much more pleased about one person who we could have missed but didn't miss uh, then we are about 99 people who are for example given antidepressants unnecessarily and uh, all the doctors saw who saw Sir Winston Churchill didn't delve very deeply into the question of depression, that's all perfectly true, Um, uh, and I don't think, actually, he would have welcomed it very much, uh, because he would have immediately grasped that people were suggesting that there was something psychiatrically wrong with them if they had delved into him very deeply. And it's interesting, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, he wrote a little book, or originally I think it was a, an article, but he wrote a little book about his uh, his um, hobby of painting. And he was a good amateur painter. His, his paintings now sell for enormous uh, sums of money, but I think mainly because they're by him rather than because of their intrinsic um, uh, artistic merit. And he was much better. Than average but still he was not a great painter but he said of his painting that it was a way of restoring his equilibrium his mental equilibrium and actually his his insight into the into the psychology of painting that it was an activity completely different from all his other mental activity but which nevertheless employed a large part of the Uh, Or mental faculties, important mental faculties, and that this was extremely important to him. Well, this seems to me to be a a rather acute observation on his part. I think uh, the diagnosis of of depression is is made in a very shallow uh, way these days. And I don't know what your experience is, but I don't recall many patients saying to me or using the word i'm happy i am no, unhappy. i think you're
0: making a, a very profound and an excellent point but the final thing i want to discuss with you is that diagnosis traps psychiatrists into a very impoverished view of the human spirit there's a sense in which psychiatry ought to be able to get a sense of Churchill as, a, as a, a tremendously interesting and great character without falling into the trap of having to make a diagnosis. And we see that increasingly today. I get asked by some occupational health department to assess someone. If I write a report saying, I think they have the features of, let's say, um, Asperger's syndrome, but yeah. they don't fully fit all the, the, the features. So I think they haven't got the diagnosis, but they have features of it. If I'm trying to feel out, a way of describing someone, but they, I don't actually arrive at a formal diagnosis, occupational health departments and insurance companies and so on get very annoyed. As far as they're concerned, you either have it or you don't have it. And that's what they see psychiatrists there to do. If you try to say, well, um, this is what the person is like, you know, you try to capture them, you, 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 off, you, if, if you don't, hit them with a, to make them force them into a diagnosis, you're not doing your job. And there's a grave danger psychiatry ends up being this process of just categorizing people. I mean, the psychoanalysts, an- for, for all their failings, were endeavoring to do that. They were trying to capture what it was like for that person to be that person.
1: And, well, and we've lost that a bit. What do you think? Well, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, the GSM... Actually, is partly, largely responsible for Uh, what we what we get now is kind of checklist psychiatry. Um, You have a certain number of uh, symptoms, and therefore you fit into a category, and therefore the treatment is this or that. When you actually add up, as I did when the DSM five came out, I added up all the prevalences given. And really, I came to the conclusion that almost everyone must have a psychiatric diagnosis Um, because uh, actually you can get up to 35% of the population have uh, personality disorders if you add up the prevalences of the personality disorders and that's just the personality disorders. Uh, And so I think there's a kind of dehumanisation, if you like, of... of, um, of psychiatry which and, and it's become extremely mechanistic. And part of that, part of the reason for that is that in the United States you only get um, reimbursed if you have a diagnosis according to DSM-5. Uh, and in this country, uh, in our uh, civil litigation uh, system, you only get compensation for any psychiatric or psychological damage if you have a diagnosis and therefore the tendency is to uh, to fit people uh, into the procrustean bed of uh, contemporary psychiatric uh, diagnosis. So I agree very much with what you're saying.
0: And and ultimately, one of the big take home messages from your paper, which is something I think at the heart of all good psychiatry, is be cautious about diagnosis. Patients come and tell me uh, they were diagnosed with this, that or the other. And I just don't take it for granted. I ask them lots of questions just to make sure that I agree uh, with that diagnosis. But increasingly, in the mechanization of the hectic pace of the health service, people arrive and say, well, five years ago, I was diagnosed with this thing. And everyone just assumes that diagnosis was correct. Uh, when it may not be. Um, And and so this notion of being cautious and and re-examining diagnoses is extremely important in my view. And I think your paper establishes that point beautifully, but with the example of Churchill and this this folklore myth that he had depression.
1: I think it's especially important in circumstances, uh, cultural circumstances, in which uh, people use psychiatric terminology I use the example of depression. Everyone talks of depression now. So it's entered the, the, the common vocabulary. And if we just accept uh, people as depressed who say they're depressed, then, uh, then I'm afraid I think uh, uh, psychiatry has lost its way.
0: Well, Anthony Daniels has been delightful talking to you. Uh, The name of the paper again is Did Sir Winston Churchill Suffer from the Black Dog? It's published in the journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. Uh, The authors of the paper are Anthony Daniels and Alistair Vale. And uh, Anthony, uh, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you very much.